scary Halloween times here at Muni Radio. Yay. For the love of God, I hope the Latoya comes in today. She's been out of the country doing amazing things, as she does. Um, but, oh, you know, you've been with me. You know how difficult it is to get through this. Probably some music today if she doesn't come, some cool stuff. And some other things. What's going on in the news, all of that. It seems like it's all just a big circus. They're hiding everything from us. I'm reading a book about Vietnam again. A different book than the McNamara one from before. But this is like a first-person narrative account of what happened. He he was a Marine, so there's a lot of detail that, you know, like who's moving where and what things are taken off. And very, it definitely describes the war. But it's terrible because at the same time that he's being very tactical and talking about it in that way, he punctuates things about people getting injured and how they get injured. And I didn't even think about it. He just brought up in this one chapter that a lot of people got sick from malaria and unknown fever things, you know, like they just got sick out in the mud and the gross and the and the tactical people that were saying, yeah, yeah, just go, go get this hill over here. And it's like, there's all this jungle in the way. What? You know? So really good book thus far and um, I'm, I'm interested in Vietnam I think that there's this idea that we had or held about war I guess before we were woke or whatever and it's really scary like he was talking about these other these guys who chopped off the ear of it. they said oh we got a souvenir from the Oh my God, and that's the stuff we used to do to the Native Americans and all that stuff that, and the whole time he was describing it, I'm like, I, dear God, I hope that it wasn't they were holding up someone's dong. Um, But no, it was an ear. But it's the atrocities of war and I was thinking about it and like the military and how you're trained to kill people or to not see people as people, right? Because you're kill, you're finding a way that you can go. And it's interesting because leading up in this book, he's talking about like how he's eager to go to war. And I just, I can't imagine being eager to kill people. Like people you don't know. Like hating, hating someone for why, why, I mean, I just don't even understand it at all what the resources are and what the what's a human resource and what has value and why we can just invade like asian countries i saw this thing about cambodia too Uh, the cambodians my lord they've been through some shit and and that whole area of like indochina indonesia and and you know, Malay to that whole area. It's so beautiful. Thailand, Laos, and I've never been there, but I hear that it's really amazing. So, but the war, the whole concept that people are killing each other and that that's what they're sent to do and that's okay. I don't know. That's just weird to me. And I, and I can't imagine, you know, what that would be like at a time of war here in San Francisco. What would 
how everything would fall apart and like what the post-apocalyptic landscape would look like here. It's like, do you get out? Do you get out to the hills? Do you, where do you go to? Uh, is it like Red Red Dawn, Wolverines? Can't head to the hills when the Cubans come. Isn't that funny? I was afraid of the Cubans too. Ah, uh, Cuban, the Bay of Pigs and all that stuff. I'm so glad that we're not like in any context of war. That's um, a luxury. But I guess we are still. There's war. There's places all the time that are being affected by, like me being like, oh, I don't have a podcast and talk on the radio, and somebody you know in Bangladesh is making ten cents an hour for, I don't know, butterfly effect. Okay, we'll find out what's going on in the news. Thanks for hanging in. Oh dear God, Latoya, when, when will you come back to me, Latoya? I miss you so. In another country, I can't do it without ya. I can't do it without ya. All right. So uh, this is Sunk in the Fills. It's like my new favorite ambient background st- st- stuff for everything. That's uh, Guinevere Q, no big fucking deal. Young son of the Wyatt Act, a great band. Uh, p- breakfast came by not too long ago on one of our comedy open mics to be awesome and aren't it was it was hilarious he's a really talented hilarious songwriter singer musician known him for years uh, but go check out the Wyatt Act local band really uh, good and funky and smart like smart I mean Guinevere Q no big fucking deal is just the wittiest like most amazing like poet performer singer everything she plays bass too in this band it's been happening all right let's do the little trick we like to do i put in trump and we see what it says number one trump booed at world series um that's good I put Trump is, and I the first thing I got is Trump ISIS. That's interesting. Trump is an idiot. Trump is insane. Trump is a crook. Trump ISIS comment. Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. Is this, this is like, it's like putting into TV. I put, um, what if I put apostrophe S? Uh, we've got Trump's tweets today, Trump's approval rating, Trump's speech today, Trump's latest tweets, Trump's tax returns. <gasps> See how easy it is to find out what's going on in the world? You just... Anyways, I'm, I'm. here's my question. Does my Google search bar or my Yahoo search bar or my blah, 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 whatever I type in the series of tubes, Does is it doing it for me? Like, does it... No, it's this... This computer knows everybody on this computer. So it's not, so it mean, it must just be a socialist leading computer, but when someone else puts in, when someone in Missouri puts in Trump is, does it come out a good Christian man? I don't know. Well, let's see speech today. I'm sure it was a tremendous speech. Tremendous, tremendous speech. Um, 
Trump's Ukraine dishonesty barrage continues. He made 96 false claims last week. Former police chief says Trump addressed a cop's irresponsible, dangerous reader view six hours ago. Jesus. Trump's Chicago speech criticizes CPD uh, Superintendent Eddie Johnson city in speech. Wow, what is he doing? Okay. I, I'm so glad I live in a barrel of whiskey and come out for free ice cream days. That's not true. I, don't, I drink more IPA than anything else. Oh, I don't, I don't know what they, they didn't, that wasn't helpful. Um, I guess he spoke. State of the Union 2019, oh my God, that was long ago. Um, well, let's do this, 38 minutes ago. Oh boy. And this is CNN, so that's interesting. Facts first, CNN. Thanks, CNN. Trump's Ukraine dishonesty barrage continues. He made 96 false claims last week. Washington CNN President Donald Trump was relentlessly dishonest last week about the scandal over his dealings with Ukraine, making false claims about just every component of the story. Trump made 96 false claims last week, the second highest total of the 16 weeks we've counted at CNN. He made 53 false claims last Monday alone, a remarkable 31 in a rambling comments at his cabinet meeting and 22 more in an interview with Fox News' Sean Hannity. 53 false claims is by far the most Trump has made in any, any day in the 16 weeks we've tracked, beating the previous high of 41. Trump has averaged about 68 false claims per week over the 16-week period, just shy of 10 false claims per day. His deception last week was focused on his conduct toward Ukraine and Democrats-related impeachment inquiry. Deep breath now. <laughs> he falsely claimed he had released an exact transcript of his July phone call with Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. He falsely claimed he did not ask Zelensky for anything on the call. He falsely claimed people aren't talking about the call anymore. He falsely claimed the whistleblower complaint about the call was totally wrong. He falsely claimed the whistleblower alleged he had made seven or eight mentions of a quid pro quo. He falsely claimed the whistleblower had vanished. He falsely claimed Democratic Representative Adam Schiff was the whistleblower's source. He falsely claimed Schiff had spoken about the call at a committee hearing before, not after, the relief of a release of a rough transcript. He falsely claimed Schiff's committee comments were illegal. He falsely claimed Republicans aren't allowed to ask questions in Democrats' impeachment inquiry hearings. And he falsely claimed those closed-door hearings are unprecedented. The most egregious false claim, Trump's prediction about Osama bin Laden. The president complained that the media doesn't want to talk about his declaration in a 2000 book that Osama bin Laden needed to be killed. In fact, he didn't say anything like that. The president claimed that things would be different today if his pre prescient, I guess, 
words from ago. Prescient words had been listened to. Again, those words do not exist. The president claimed that he still had people coming up to him, marveling at his amazing prediction about bin Laden. Again, he did not make any prediction about bin Laden. And the president claimed that it was an especially remarkable prediction because nobody had ever heard of bin Laden at the time. Bin Laden was being pursued by the CIA and had been put on the FBI's 10 most wanted fugitives list the year before. Here's a full fact check of Trump's elaborate fiction. Ooh, this is crazy. So he just makes things up now and everyone's like, okay. All right. When you say things, when you say things, you got to keep, you know, you got to, you got to keep saying it or whatever. Like what's said was what was said. And that's, you can't change it. You're not, I mean. Um, this is fact check Trump falsely claims his 2000 book demanded the killing of Osama bin Laden after announcing the death of ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi President Donald Trump on Sunday took questions from journalists and made a major false claim about his past statements on Osama bin Laden Trump claimed he'd been prescient about the danger posed by bin Laden, having called for the death of the Al-Qaeda leader in a very successful book he published the year before the September 11, 2001 terror attacks. Trump said he knew the threat from bin Laden at the time when nobody had ever heard of bin Laden. About a year. You left to check it. A year and year and a half before the World Trade Center came down. The book came out. I was talking about Osama bin Laden. I said, you have to kill him. You have to take him out. Nobody listened to me, he said. Let's put it this way. If they would have listened to me, a lot of things would be different, he said. Trump said he still hears people marveling about his supposed declaration. To this day, I get people coming up to me, he said. They say, you know what the most amazing things I've ever seen about you is that you predicted the Osama bin Laden hadn't been killed before he knocked down the World Trade Center. It's true. Now, most of the press doesn't want to write that, you know, but it's true. You go back, look at my book. We went back and looked at his book. It's not true. Facts first. Trump's January 2000 book, The America We Deserve, mentioned bin Laden once, but it did not call for bin Laden to be killed or warn that he would perpetrate a major attack if he were not killed. In a separate section, the book said the U.S. was in danger of a major terrorist attack that would make the 1993 bombing of the World Trade Center look minor in comparison, but it did not predict that bin Laden or al-Qaeda would be the perpetrator of this attack. Also, there is no basis for Trump's claim that bin Laden was unknown to everyone else at the time. Bin Laden was a well-known figure in 2000, though he had not achieved the prominence he would gain with the full attacks of 2001. The FBI had added him to his 10 most wanted fugitive lists in 99. Here's the one mention of bin Laden in Trump's book. Instead of one looming crisis hanging over us, we face a bewildering series of smaller crises flashpoints, standoffs, and hotspots. We're not playing the chess game to end all chess games anymore. We're playing tournament chess, one master against many rivals. One day, we're all assured that Iraq is under control. The UN inspectors have done their work. Everything's fine, not to worry. The next day, the bombing begins. One day, we're told a shadowy figure with no fixed address named Osama bin Laden is a public enemy number one, and U.S. jet fighters lay waste to his camp in Afghanistan. 
he escapes back under some rock, and a few cycles later, it's on the new enemy and new crisis. That was all a passing reference. And he must have not written that because it's too eloquent. Elsewhere in the book, Trump wrote, I am really convinced we're in danger of some sort of terrorist attacks that will make the bombing of the World Trade Center look like kids playing firecrackers. No sensible analyst rejects this possibility. And plenty of them, like me, are not wondering if, but when it will happen. So Trump explicitly acknowledged that it was widespread belief among analysts, not a special insight of his own, that a major attack was coming. Concerns about bin Laden's plot, plotting an attack, were public knowledge by 2000. In June 1999, CNN published an article that began, U.S. officials fear that suspected terrorist Osama bin Laden may be in the final stages of planning an attack against the United States. Bin Laden had been publicly linked to the 1998 bombing of U.S. embassies in Tanzania and Kenya, and President Bill Clinton retaliated later that year with the cruise missile strikes on sites Clinton administration claims were connected to bin Laden. Sunday was not the first time Trump made false claims about what bin Laden, he said about bin Laden in the 2000 book. He made similar comments during his presidential campaign and once in an appearance on a conspiracy theory Alex's Jones show. So, there it is. Stretching the truth a little far. Hey, you know what? You know who gets to stretch the truth? Children. Because they're children. And we try to teach them not to do that. I guess businessmen stretch the truth. I guess everyone stretches the truth. But you know who's not supposed to stretch the truth? The president of the motherfucking United States of America. The president is not supposed to stretch the truth. I mean, maybe he's the stretchiest of the truth. Maybe that's why... Barack Obama was so amazing. Was he just like such a great liar that I believed in hook, line, and sinker? I think he was an honest man. The guy happening right now, we're catching him in lies and nobody cares. I mean, how many times does he have to be misrepresenting? Oh, does, is he just so old he doesn't remember? Is he going through Alzheimer's, dementia? What's happening here that he can't? And that you wrote the book. People can go back to the book. Like, you. oh, I said this in my book. We have the book. We can look in the book. What, do you not look in books anymore? You're just like, oh, we burned those all. There's no books anymore. It's crazy. Okay, there's more. The most revealing false claim, how people don't talk about his call with Ukraine's president. Trump's phone call with Zelensky is the center of the Democrats' push to impeach him. He remains the subject of discussion in the media and in impeachment inquiry hearings. Trump said last week, they don't talk about it anymore. They don't talk about the phone call, he told Hannity, because it was perfect. Most politicians spin, exaggerate, mislead. Trump invites people to join him in a fantasy land that bears no resemblance to what they can see with their own eyes. It's just like like what I played two weeks ago, the emperor with no, the emperor wear no, wears no clothes. <coughs> Excuse me. The most absurd false claim, George Washington's two desks. Trump is fond of adding vivid little details to his tales to theoretically make them sound more authentic. Oh, this is what um, comedian Zach Wiseman taught me. That when you're lying, like to the police or something, you always, or to anyone, you always say one detail that's just too weird. Like, if you get pulled over by the cops, um, maybe you're on the bus and you didn't pay for the bus. No, I don't agree. I always pay for the bus. But let's say you're on the bus and you didn't pay for the bus. And they come up to you and they say, do you have an ID? And you say, no. And they say, what's your name? And you say, Jackson Carlson with a K, Carlson with a K. They're much more likely to believe you 
because you pointed out something like that. So you make it, you make the lie a little bit more elaborate and then it's okay. Thank you, Zach Wiseman. You taught me that. Trump knows it too. Trump is fond of adding vivid little details to his tales to theoretically make them sound more authentic. Attempting last week to defend himself against criticism of his aborted plan to hold a G7 summit at one of his own resorts, he claimed that George Washington not only ran a business while in office, George Washington was a major landowner and took an active interest in his farm. So there's at least a smidgen of truth there, but that Washington, they say, had two desks. He had a presidential desk and a business desk. For good measure, Trump gestured as if there were two desks near him side by side. Fact-checking Trump involves asking weird questions to experts who do not traditionally get roped into articles on the dishonesty of elected officials. In this case, one of our recruits was Mary Thompson, a research historian at Mount Vernon, Washington's historic home. Here's a full fact-check of his claim, and below is the 96. Okay, I want to see. Um, I am not aware of Washington having two desks in the study in the presidential mansion, which was a fairly small room, Thompson said. Here's a full fact check of the claim. Trump made at least 21 false claims and an angry cabinet monologue. President Donald Trump delivered a blistering and rambling monologue to the journalists he allowed in his cabinet meeting for more than 70 minutes on Monday. His press secretary, Stephanie Grisham, later tweeted, I hope we see honesty reported from today's meeting. We can honestly tell you that Trump's remarks were highly dishonest. We're looking into some of the president's claims, but we can report at least 21 of them were false. Barack Obama and King Jong-un. But in the meantime, North Korea, I like Kim. He likes me. We get along. I respect him. He respects me. You could end up in a war. President Obama told, I can't do President Obama's voice. You could end up in a war. President Obama told me that. He said, the biggest problem, I, I don't know how to solve it. He told me he doesn't know how to solve it. I said, did you ever call him? No. Actually, he tried 11 times, but the man on the other side, the gentleman on the other side, did not take his call, okay? Lack of respect. But he takes my call, Trump says. Facts first. There is no apparent basis for the claim that Obama tried to call Kim Jong-un 11 times. This is a total fabrication. Trump is completely delusional and it's scary. Susan Rice, who served as Obama's national security advisor, said on Twitter in response to our tweets of Trump's quotes, we never called Kim. Ben Rhodes, who served as Obama's deputy national security advisor, told CNN. Trump has previously claimed that Obama begged for Kim, begged Kim for a meeting, another assertion for which there is no evidence. The Iraq War. If you remember, I didn't want to go into Iraq. I was a civilian, so I had no power over it. But I was always speaking about going into Iraq, Trump said. Facts first. Trump did not publicly oppose the invasion of Iraq before it began. Trump was tentatively supportive of the war when radio host Howard Stern asked him in September 2002, "Are you in for a raiding Iraq? Are you are you in for raiding Iraq?" Wow, are you in for invading Iraq? He responded, "Yeah, I guess so. I wish the first time it was done correctly." 
the day after the invasion in March 2003, he said, it looks like a tremendous success from a military standpoint. Trump did not offer a definitive position on the looming war in a Fox News interview in January 2003, saying, either you attack or you don't attack. Trump publicly questioned the war later in 2003, and he was an explicit opponent in an Esquire article published 17 months after the invasion. That is not the same as, I was against going to the war. All right. The presidential salary. But I give away my presidential salary. They say no other president has done it. I'm surprised, to be honest with you. They say George Washington may have been the only other president, Trump said. Facts first. Trump does donate his salary, but the rest of his claim was inaccurate. He is not the only president to have donated the official salary. Both JFK and Herbert Hoover did so. Washington did not. Although Washington initially declined his salary, he relented after Congress insisted. George Washington's two desks. Trump said, George Washington, he ran his business simultaneously as he was president, adding, George Washington, they say, had two desks. He had a presidential desk and a business desk. And he gestured as if pointing to two desks sitting side by side. Facts first, Washington, a major landowner, did continue to own property while serving as president. He took an interest in his farm at Mount Vernon while in office, even writing to a United Kingdom official to discuss getting help to find renters for Mount Vernon land. But historians say Trump's claim about Washington having a separate desk for business work is baseless. When asked about the claim Washington had two desks, Joseph Ellis, a Pulitzer Prize-winning historian and author of the book His Excellency George Washington, told CNN, I don't know what he's talking about. Jeremy Surrey, a history professor at the University of Texas at Austin, said, Trump's statement is utter nonsense. It's an absurd allegation, basically, said Elizabeth Cobbs, a history professor at Texas A&M University and senior fellow at Stanford's Hoover Institution. Certainly, every one of the founders had personal property that they maintained while they were in office. Whether they kept the materials in a separate desk or not is irrelevant. Mary Thompson, a research historian from Mount Vernon, Washington's home, told CNN while there were two desks associated with while there were two desks associated with the Washington's presidency, his presidential desk and the one made at Mount Vernon made for Washington after his term as president, they did not exist together or side by side, as Trump implied. I'm not aware of Washington having two desks in the study in the presidential mansion, which is a fairly small room, Thompson said. Ellis noted that while Washington's correspondence during his presidency suggested he wanted to be at Mount Vernon, it wasn't because he had business back there, but because it was his home, the place he was felt most comfortable. And he didn't own a corporation or anything. He did have some land out in the West, what is now West Virginia, Western Pennsylvania and Ohio, and he was still trying to manage that, Ellis said. The emoluments, uh, Elmo emoluments cause oof clause Trump attacked critics who said that holding a G7 summit at one of his resorts would violate the constitution he said you people with this phony emoluments clause facts first there's nothing phony about the constitution's prohibitions against the president receiving payments from foreign and domestic governments the clause on foreign emoluments found in Article 1, Section 9 says no person holding any office 
of profit or trust under them shall, without the consent of Congress, except of any present emolument, office, or title of any kind whatever from any king, prince, or foreign state. The clause on domestic emoluments found in Article 2, Section 1 says, The President shall, at stated time, receive for his services a compensation, which shall neither be increased nor diminished during the period for which he shall have been elected, and he shall not receive within that period any other emolument from the United States or any of them. Trump might have been attempting to argue that it is phony to apply the clause to his own activities, but at the very least, his wording left an inaccurate impression. Yeah, the president is not supposed to make money off the presidency, and that's what he's been doing, which is why we care about his taxes. The deal with Turkey. People have been trying to make this deal for years, Trump said of his ceasefire agreement with Turkey facts first. The president's claim is baseless to the point of being nonsensical. The deal is a narrow agreement specifically tied to the Turkish offensive that followed Trump's decision to withdraw troops from a Kurdish-held region in northern Syria, not an agreement that resolves long-standing regional disputes. Further, President Barack Obama and George W. Bush never sought to give Turkey anything like the concessionary terms of Trump's deal to deal with Turkey. The Ukraine scandal, the whistleblower's account, we've gone through there. Um, the whistleblower gave a false account, Trump said. He also said the whistleblower's account was totally false. While the whistleblower's account of Trump's call with Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky was largely accurate, in fact, the rough transcript released by Trump himself showed that the whistleblower's three primary allegations about the call were correct or very close to correct. The whistleblower's knowledge. The whistleblower had second, third-hand information. You remember that. It was a big problem, Trump said. Some of the whistleblower's information came from others, but some did not. Michael Atkinson, the Trump-appointed inspector general for the intelligence community, noted the whistleblower had direct knowledge of a certain alleged conduct. Atkinson also explained that the whistleblower was credible, even about events on which the whistleblower did not have first-hand knowledge, such as in the call. Although the complaint's letter acknowledged the, complaint, the complainant was not a direct witness to the president's July 25, 2019 telephone call with Ukrainian president, the inspector general of the intelligence community determined that the other information obtained during the ICIG preliminary review supported the complaint's, complainant's allegations. The call document. Trump said, I released a transcript then by stenographers of the exact conversation I had. The document released by the White House explicitly says on the first page that it is not an exact transcript of the call. A memorandum of a telephone conversation is not verbatim transcript of a discussion. The text in this document records the notes and recollections of Situation Room duty officers and NSC policy staff designed to listen and memorialize the conversation in written form as the conversation takes place. A number of factors can affect the accuracy of the record, including poor telecommunication connections and variations in accent and or interpretation. <sighs> what really happened? You know, that's the thing is like, when you're the president... You should be under scrutiny. There should We should be taping everything. Aren't they taping everything? That's insane. They're taping all of our conversations and looking at all of our texts, but we can't look at theirs? Come on. 
I mean, I guess his Twitter's bad enough, right? And he's really sending that out. Oh, boy. The whistleblower being gone. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, so we know he's a big fat liar face. I had 20, 25,000 people up close in that arena, Trump said of his rally last week in Dallas. The American Airlines Center has a capacity of about 20,000. The El Paso Times reported a crowd of 18,500. Trump paused mid-speech to ask the fire level marshal to let more people in to fill empty space at floor level. The crowd outside. Trump claimed that at least 20,000 supporters were outside the arena. Facts first. Trump's estimate was way off, though it was lower than the close to 30,000 he had claimed during the speech. We didn't have 30K outside. Probably we had upward of 5K outside. Dallas Police Department spokesperson Sergeant Mit Mitchell Warren told CNN in response to that previous Trump's estimate. I haven't had an empty seat at a rally, Trump said. Facts first. There have been empty seats at various Trump rallies, including a rally earlier this month in Minneapolis, a July rally in Greenville, North Carolina, an October 2018 rally in Houston, and an April 2017 rally in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Ha ha. So these are all, I mean, I, I don't want to keep reading all of his lies because it's just ridiculous. But when, do, I mean, are people just, believing him and now we're okay about it i i don't understand the construction of the empire state building america built the empire state building in just one year believe it or not in nine months the empire state building was built in 13 months not nine months we'd have let it go if trump had stuck to the just one year but nine months is objectively wrong if he would have just left it at the year. Why does he have to lie and lie on top of it? I, I'm looking for other ridiculous good ones. Impeachment inquiry. Republicans in the impeachment inquiry. But no lawyers. We have no lawyers. Republican. Because it's the minority. We have no lawyers. We can't question. We can't do a thing. We can't. They can't even go into the room. October 21st interview with Fox News' Sean Hannity. Facts first. Trump was correct that the Democratic House majority was not permitting White House lawyers into its closed hearings. However, the 48 Republican members of the three committees holding the hearings, Intelligence, Foreign Affairs, and Oversight, were indeed allowed into the room, and they were given equal time to question the witnesses. Trump might have been referring to a stunt in which Republicans were not members of any of the three committees along with some republicans who were members stormed the secure committee room to make a political point the non-members were not allowed to be there but the members were allowed to be full participants in the proceedings so they just had to be republicans to be there closed door impeachment hearings well i think they are i will be honest i loved when i saw the scene in the unity yesterday with the congressmen going downstairs because they've got a cabal going on it's you know you look at what's happening downstairs in the little room, that little secret room. Nobody ever had a thing like that. That's never happened before. 
interview with Sinclair Broadcast Group's Eric Bowling. Facts first. It's not true that nobody ever had a thing like the closed-door hearings House Democrats are holding as a part of their impeachment inquiry. The impeachment processes for both Presidents Bill Clinton and Richard Nixon also involved closed-door meetings in which members of Congress gathered evidence. The president's comments are entirely, wholly, and completely wrong, said Jeffrey Engel, founding director of the Center of Presidential History at South Methodist University. It is simply normal for those discussions to take place behind closed doors, because as everyone across the board will tell you, in investigations you get better answers when there are no cameras. The impeachment witnesses. They're interviewing. They're interviewing ambassadors who I've never heard of. I don't know who these people are. I've never heard of them. I have great respect for some of them. Don't forget. Many of these people were put there during the Obama, during Clinton, during the never Trump or Bush era. You know, you had a never Trump or Bush uh, exchange with reporters at a cabinet meeting. Facts check.org noted actually among the nine government officials who have testified in closed sessions so far, just two were appointed to their current or recently resigned positions under the Obama administration. The other seven were appointed by Trump or Trump appointees, such as Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. We can't definitively fact check whether Trump has heard of his own appointees, but it's worth noting that they are indeed his appointees. And he professed respect for some of them immediately after saying he'd never heard of them. And that he has a history of minimizing his relationships with former associates when it's convenient for him. Wow. Ooh, San Francisco and the environment. I can't believe that Nancy Pelosi's district in San Francisco is in such horrible shape that the city itself is in violation of many sanitary and environmental orders, causing it to owe the federal government billions of dollars. And she works, and all she works on is impeachment. We should all work together to clean up these hazardous waste and homeless sites before the whole city rots away. Very bad and dangerous conditions. Also severely impacting the Pacific Ocean and water supply. Pelosi must work on this mess and turn her district around. That's a tweet on October 26. Facts first. San Francisco does not owe the federal government billions of dollars over its supposed environmental violations. And the claim that pollution from San Francisco's homeless population is severely impacting the Pacific Ocean and water supply is sharply disputed by environmental experts. In September, the administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency, Andrew Wheeler, sent a letter to the governor of California to allege deficiencies in the state's implementation of federal environmental laws. The letter, which followed a dispute between the Trump administration and the state over automotive emission standards, is seen by many Democrats, former EPA officials, and environmental experts as retaliatory. Regardless of the administration's true moment, motives. The letter did not allege that San Francisco or the state owes the federal government billions. It said San Francisco must invest billions of dollars to modernize its sewer system. That is not the same thing. Ann Carlson, a professor of environmental law at the University of California, Los Angeles, and faculty co-director of the Emmett Institute on Climate Change and the Environment, noted the absence of evidence for the administration's claim about environmental problems caused by homeless people in San Francisco. Trump's tweet is misleading, misleading or is flatly false on several fronts. 
Although he claimed in late September that the city's failure to manage its homelessness problem was causing serious water pollution problems from the needles and human waste, his EPA has produced no evidence to back up its claim, she said. In fact, after he made the accusation, EPA went sent what is called a notice of violation to San Francisco, accusing the city of violating the Federal Clean Water Act in the operation of its wastewater and sewer system. EPA made no mention of any problems caused by the homelessness population. And you can bet if the agency had any evidence, it would have included mention of the evidence in the letter. He just says weird shit. He's just saying, keep saying words. Keep saying words. The emoluments clause. Oh, I already read that one. All right. Well, I'm not going to read all of them, but we know he's a lying liar and he's lying and lie lies. All so many lies. Yeah, here's that's this is lying lies former police chief says trump addressed to cops irresponsible dangerous um this is um from usa today and uh, i have been um who is it by it doesn't tell me who it's by, but it says I, so. I have been a member of the International Association of Chiefs of Police for half a century. I led police in two cities for more than 25 years. In retirement, I have continued to study, lecture, and write about the needs of police in a free society. President Donald Trump's address to my colleagues in Chicago at their annual meeting Monday is forcing me to speak out. What would I expect from a presidential address? What is it that an emerging leader, police leader, needs to hear? Leaders help others grow and achieve their goals. They generously listen and build coalitions of support. Trump exhibited none of those qualities during his speech, and his words didn't encourage the police leaders in the room to exhibit them either. As president, he should have reinforced the values that made and continue to make our nation great. Those in our Bill of Rights our long tradition of fairness and restraint and commitment that government is to serve those most vulnerable among us. I, I mean, I believe in all that stuff he said, but I'm like, you're from the police? Wait a minute. That just seems kind of counterintuitive to how I, you know, interact with the police. Oh, listen to me. I'm a nice white lady. They interact with me just fine. I mean, they, I use the privilege where I can, right? Policing the USA, I look at race, justice, and media. I wanted to hear support for the practices that are known to improve police where they falter. When a local or state police agency has a pattern of civil rights violations, the federal government has a responsibility to step in. Trump made it clear that federal oversight will no longer be exercised, incorrectly stating that in intervention hinders police. That lack of oversight will give bad police leeway and put many American citizens at risk. The most effective strategy by far is cleaning up a lawless police agency has been oversight by a federal judge. Perhaps the president did not understand that most of the men and women he was addressing were our nation's top police leaders. Others were police leaders from foreign countries. The president also told a story about a Chicago police officer he met while he was on the camp tra campaign trail. He called the officer a powerful, strong-looking guy. Trump said he asked the officer what it would take to clean up the city. 
The officer said that he and a few of his buddies would clean up Chicago in a day. Really? How would they do that exactly? More important, what is he implying by telling this story? He's undermining Chicago's police chief, something he did directly and indirectly throughout his speech after the chief refused to attend the event. Trump's Chicago story encourages cops to eliminate the rules by controlling their behavior. Trump implied that urban crime control was easy if only the chief would undo the restraints so officers could more freely crack down on the streets. I wonder what poor people, homeless people suffering addictions, and people of color who live in neighborhoods frequently targeted by police would think of this story from their president. If comments like that were made in a department that I headed, I would have asked whoever made them to leave. Trump's words were irresponsible. His instructions make the job of leading police more difficult, and the attitude he encouraged, encouraged put citizens at risk. When I became a leader, I realized the job of policing a free society was extremely difficult, and the complex and demanded my best thinking and best behavior. Once I had a mayor's aide tell me to push out a number of newly arrived Cuban immigrants, I refused. I can tell you that getting tough on the street, as Trump implied, has never solved any of our difficult urban police problems. What works is collaboration, fairness, responsibility, and democratic values. I expected my president to reinforce what our nation's leaders were doing, not undermine their efforts. As a police leader, I have to say that Trump didn't help our nation's police leaders improve. What he said brought the profession of policing down. A leader's job is to raise others up. Police isn't just about enforcing the law, it's about modeling our nation's values. Trump announced that he would create a presidential commission on law enforcement. I hope it involves diverse voices. Trump didn't help our nation's police leaders. Instead, he chose to pander. We deserve better. David Cooper, Blue Mounds, Wisconsin. Hey, man. Wow. I, wow. I really respect that. that I Because, I don't know, we... We do a lot of police bashing at, uh, at Mutiny Radio. One of, the, one of the things I say when people choose to do a podcast here because we're, you know, 100% free speech, I tell them, hey, you know what? If you want to say fuck the police for two hours, go crazy. That's your, it's, it's your podcast time. You can, I'll never question your content. I tell them, I'll never question your content. Um, but, I mean, I also like to see both sides of the story and... I with that police that police guy cool guy good guy that's the kind of policing that I mean it's like the project that Amy Farrowweiss is trying to work on with the downtown at 180 Jones please go give her some money for a safe organized space at 180 Jones in the Tenderloin it's a city owned parking lot and right now is commandeered by some people living in it but she's has money to put together to create five tiny homes and a dog space and a space where people can receive services and stuff so that they can connect with the community because people have needs and when their behavior is erratic it's some most of the time because their needs aren't being met but we can't what i what am i going to walk around the tenderloin and be like are your needs being met can you do you want a sandwich although i did the other day um 
I like to go to gross out up here and get juices and stuff and coffees because they like have smoke and good prices and sometimes like you know it's orange juice I love orange juice and it's so expensive anyways but I go to gross out and I'll buy an extra juice and I, I walked down mission and there was a man who was kind of bleeding haphazardly from his hand and I was like oh he's having a rough day and um I said, would you like a juice? And he like kind of f- fluttered back and he's like, yeah. So I gave him a juice. And I hope that made his day better. Um, I'm sure it did. But if we, I mean, if if we all did a little, like I'm not trying to pretend that I'm, I'm just trying to think of other people to, um, I want to put Trump police speech. I want to Chicago. I want to. I want to see. I want to hear it now because I'm like, oh my god, does it exist? The Trump police speech, Chicago. Trump calls out Chicago's Eddie Johnson for skipping police chief events. Watch live. President Donald Trump speaks at police chief conference. There's that. That's an hour and ten. That's too long. Mic drop. President Trump takes on Jesse Smollett and missing Chicago police. Oh, so this was it. Um. So they have the whole thing, but we're just going to, maybe we'll watch the, President Donald Trump delivers remarks long, let's see, which one do I want? So we call, this is all about him and the police chief and it's this crazy stuff. Okay, here we go. I'll try this one first. Mic drop. Let me pause this. I'm sorry, I'm being a bad podcaster. There, I don't want to go up on this. But there is one person that's not here today. We're in Chicago. I said, where is he? I want to talk to him. In fact, more than anyone else, this person should be here because maybe he could learn something. Oh. And that's the superintendent of Chicago police, Eddie Johnson. A few days ago, Johnson said, quote, the values of the people of Chicago are more important than anything President Trump would have to say. I don't think so, because that's a very insulting statement after all I've done for the police. And I've done more than any other president's ever done for the police. He's so Over a hundred years, we can prove it, but probably from the beginning. And here's a man that could not bother to show up for a meeting of police chiefs, most respected people in the country, in his hometown, and with the President of the United States. And you know why? It's because he's not doing his job. Last year, 565 people were murdered in Chicago. Since Eddie Johnson has been police chief, more than 1,500 people have been murdered in Chicago, and 13,067 people have been shot. During the first weekend of August 2019, seven people were murdered, and 52 were wounded in 32 shootings in Chicago. And recently, they had 
78 shootings over a weekend spree, and three people killed. And Chicago has the toughest gun laws in the United States. That doesn't seem to be working too well, does it? Oh, he's such and a, a lot dick. Of people know exactly what I mean. Yeah, you like but guns. Under Johnson's leadership, they certainly don't protect people. Then you have the case of this wise guy, Jesse Smollett, who beat up himself. Oh, he's such a smug piece of dog shit. Okay, let's 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 just pair this simultaneously here with Barack Obama's final speech and let's see how humble and how amazing Hello, and how presidential he sounds talking to Chicago. How presidential. It's good to be home. If I had told you eight years ago that America would reverse a great recession, reboot our auto industry, and unleash the longest stretch of job creation in our history, if I had told you that we would open up a new chapter with the Cuban people, shut down Iran's nuclear weapons program without firing a shot, take out the mastermind of 9-11. If I had told you that we would win marriage equality and secure the right to health insurance for another 20 million of our fellow citizens, If I had told you all that, you might have said our sights were set a little too high. But that's what we did. I can't do that. Four more years. Four more years. (laughs) After my election, there was talk of a post-racial America. And such a vision, however well-intended, was never realistic. Race remains a potent and often divisive force in our society. It's true. He's so presidential. If you're tired of arguing with strangers on the Internet, try talking with one of them in real life. Yay! I love you so much! If you're disappointed by your elected officials, Grab a clipboard, get some signatures, and run for office yourself. Yay! Show up. Dive in. Stay at it. Sometimes you'll win. Sometimes you'll lose. Michelle. Michelle! Robinson, girl of the South Side. He's crying. He loves her so much. You made the White House a place that belongs to everybody. And a new generation sets its sights higher because it has you as a role model. Malia and Sasha, of all that I have done in my life, I am most proud to be your dad. Oh. For too many of us, it's become safer to retreat into our own bubbles whether in our neighborhoods or on college campuses 
or places of worship, or especially our social media feeds. Surrounded by people who look like us and share the same political outlook and never challenge our assumptions. And increasingly, we become so secure in our bubbles that we start accepting only information, whether it's true or not, that fits our opinions, instead of basing our opinions on the evidence that is out there. I am asking you to hold fast to that faith written into our founding documents, that idea whispered by slaves and abolitionists, that spirit sung by immigrants and homesteaders and those who marched for justice, that creed reaffirmed by those who planted flags from foreign battlefields to the surface of the moon, a creed at the core of every American whose story is not yet written. Yes, we can. Yes, we did. Yes, we can. Thank you. God bless you. Uh, we miss you so much, Barack. Miss you so much, buddy. Uh, he was talking about tiny bubbles. We'll be right back. We're going to sing together, okay? Tiny After me now, everybody. Tiny bubbles. Tiny Tiny, tiny bubbles. Oh, I'll leave 
mind resistant armored personnel carriers Musicians have drums Sometimes So don't call the cops
the police department, the prosecuting attorneys are MC Rand, Ice Cube, and Easy Motherfucking E. Order, order, order. Ice Cube, take the motherfucking stand. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help your black ass. You goddamn right. Well, won't you tell everybody what the fuck you gotta say? Fuck the police coming straight from the underground. A young nigga got it back, cause I'm brown. And not the other color, so police think they have the authority to kill a minority. Fuck that shit, cause I ain't the one. For a punk motherfucker with a badge and a gun to be beaten on. And thrown in jail, we can go toe to toe in the middle of a cell. Fucking with me, cause I'm a teenager. With a little bit of gold and a pager. Searching my car, looking for the product. Thinking every nigga is selling narcotics. You rather see me in the pen than me and Lorenzo rolling in a benzo. Be the police out of shape, and when I finish, bring the yellow tape to tape off the scene of the slaughter. Still getting swole up bread and water. I don't know if they fags or what. Search a nigga down and grabbing his nuts. And on the other hand, without a gun, they can't get none. But don't let it be a black and a white one. Cause they'll slam you down to the street top. Black police showing out for the white cop. Jury, how you feel about this bullshit? I'm tired of the motherfucking jacking. 
Sweat my gang while I'm chilling in the shack and shining the light in my face and for what? Maybe it's because I kick so much but I kick ass. Or maybe because I blast on a stupid ass nigga when I'm playing with the trigger of an Uzi or an AK. Cause the police always got something stupid to say. They put out my picture with silence. Cause my identity by itself causes violence to eat with the criminal behavior. Yeah, I'm a gangster, but still I got flavor. Without a gun in the badge, what do you got? A sucker in a uniform waiting to get shot by me or another nigga. And with a gun, it don't matter if he's smaller or bigger. And as y'all know, he's here the rule. Whenever I'm rolling, keep looking in the mirror. And it's on cue, yo, so I can hear a dumb motherfucker with a gun. And if I'm rolling up the eight, he'll be the one that I take out. And then get away while I'm driving off laughing. This is what I'll say. Fuck the police. You've been a redneck, white bread, chicken shit, motherfucker. Hey, that's a lie! That's a goddamn lie! Get him out of here. I want justice! Get him the fuck out of my face! I want justice! Out right now! Fuck you, you black motherfucker! Fuck the police! Fuck the police! Well, there you have it, uh, from NWA. Fuck the police. Uh, no, the, I mean, I don't want to say. It, it's it's a it's a complicated issue. I played a bunch of music that was fun there. Uh, we just finished listening to uh, our current president sound incredibly unpresidential, and then our past president sounding so presidential. I had to. Um, uh, my, I had to wipe my face and play some music and dry my, dry my eyes because I was. It made me so emotional. Um, it made me very emotional. It, it really did. So, <laughs> just when he started talking about his wife and and uh, he loved Michelle. Michelle was such a great, such a great first lady. And um, I'm just so saddened that. Our first lady now kind of sucks, you know. Um, so we we listened to a bunch of songs there. We listened to "Tiny Bubbles" by Don Ho, uh, live, 1967 from the Hollywood Bowl. Uh, we also listened to the Wyatt Act, "Don't Call the Cops," "Don't Call the Cops," and then uh, "Fuck the Police." There was something else in there. I can't remember already. I'm terrible. All right. Uh, back to it. The computer doesn't want to let me read to you the rebuttal from... So uh, Trump pandered to everyone saying, Oh, where's your, where's your police chief and blah, blah, blah. Trump's Chicago speech criticized the superintendent, Eddie Johnson, and... The mayor and he fired back. Chicago President Donald Trump criticized Chicago Police Superintendent Eddie Johnson during the International Association of Chiefs of Police Conference at McCormick Place on Monday. Trump was clearly annoyed that Johnson boycotted his speech and took time to mention his name in a negative life light almost a dozen times because that's so classy. Trump used crime statistics and Chicago's status as a sanctuary city to criticize Chicago's 
chief of police. Bashing Chicago violence has been part of Trump's repertoire since his 2016 campaign. But he took it one step further Monday by targeting Johnson. There is one person who is not here today. We are in Chicago. I said, where is he? I want to talk to him. In fact, more than anyone else, this person should be here. He could learn something. Oh, God, he's just so smug. Trump smugly said during his speech. Trump's continued bashing of CPD's top drew applause from other police chiefs. Johnson, who was hosting the conference, previously said he made the decision not to attend Trump's speech because, quote, it just doesn't line up with our city's core values along with my personal values. People like Johnson put, oh, this is, I have to do his voice. People like Johnson put criminals and illegal aliens before the citizens of Chicago. And those are his values. And frankly, those values to me are a disgrace, Trump said. Getting caught up in negativity is just something I never do. And I'm not going to do it now, Johnson said in an afternoon press conference he called in response to the speech. Surrounded by his staff. Johnson defended his decision to boycott the speech and use the opportunity to talk about crime stats. He said the president ignored 40% drop in shootings in three years. The national narrative is that Chicago is on is a city on fire. And that's simply not true, Johnson said. We have our challenges in the south and west sides, but I want to remind people, we also have 17 neighborhoods in the city that are safer than Manhattan and L.A. He also called on Trump to restore federal grant that he's tied to immigration efforts and Chicago's status as a sanctuary city. Those things were stopped. So if people want to help us, then restore those things, he said. Mayor Lori Lightfoot also responded to Trump in a tweet saying she's standing by the city's top cop. President Trump knows much about uh, President Trump knows as much about policing as he does about running a fair and transparent government. I stand by the superintendent for living up to the values of this great city and its residents. Lightfoot tweeted. Johnson reminded the president that the same officers he who he criticized for not protecting Chicago spent all day protecting him. While Trump was giving his speech at McCormick Place, Johnson was nearby, directing CPD resources from the police command post. Johnson's decision to skip Trump's address angered the city's chapter of the Fraternal Order of Police, which said in a Facebook post that such a gesture would be an insult to both President Trump and the office of the presidency itself and would be a mark of disgrace upon the city throughout the entire nation, including Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Lightfoot has also refused to meet with Trump while he's in the city. Then FOP Lodge 7, which represents rank-and-file Chicago police officers, announced that it had cast a vote of no confidence in Johnson. The vote might please Trump, who likes to tell officers not to treat crime suspects so gently, and was cheered at last year's gathering for the same police chief organization in Orlando, Florida, when we advocated the use of stop-and-frisk police tactics that that had been deemed unconstitutional. The president's visit also comes as more than 25,000 members of the Chicago Teachers Union have been on strike since October 17th. At the conference, Trump signed an executive order creating a presidential commission on law enforcement to study issues like substance abuse, homelessness and mental illness. The White House said in order, the order calls for establishing a framework for better training, recruiting and retaining law enforcement officers. The president also announced that the Department of Justice would begin a strong 
of the Justice Department began a stronger crackdown on violent crime in the United States, targeting gang members and drug traffickers in high crime areas. Let's call it a surge, Trump said. All right, so they struck back a little bit, but he's still the worst. Hey, I support anyone who supports not supporting Trump. Jeez. It's just so crazy to go from someone so presidential and just that last speech of Obama is so heartfelt, so amazing. What a guy. And now this. Uh, And now this.
few years as First Lady, I have had the extraordinary privilege of traveling all across this country. And everywhere I've gone and the people I've met and the stories I've heard, I have seen the very best of the American spirit. See, our life before moving to Washington was, was filled with simple joys. Saturdays at soccer games, Sundays at grandma's house, and a date night for Barack and me was either dinner or movie, because as an exhausted mom, I couldn't stay awake for both. Even back then, when Barack was a senator and a presidential candidate, to me, he was still the guy who picked me up for our dates in a car that was so rusted out, I, I could actually see the pavement going by in a hole in the passenger side door. He was the guy whose proudest possession was a coffee table he'd found in a dumpster. Well, today, after so many struggles and triumphs and moments that have tested my husband in ways I never could have imagined, I have seen firsthand that being president doesn't change who you are. No, it, it reveals who you are. Oh, shit! When it comes to the health of our families, Barack refused to listen to all those folks who told him to leave health reform for another day, another president. He didn't care whether it was the easy thing to do politically. No, that's not how he was raised. He cared that it was the right thing to do. When we were first married, our combined monthly student loan bill was actually higher than our mortgage. Yeah, we, we were so young, so in love, and so in debt. <laughs> if, if we want to give all of our children a foundation for their dreams and opportunities worthy of their promise, if, if we want to give them that sense of limitless possibility, that belief that here in America there is always something better out there if you're willing to work for it, then we must work like never before. And we must once again come together and stand together for the man we can trust to keep moving this great country forward. My husband, our president, Barack Obama. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Okay, so there's our old. That's our last first lady, right? Okay, let's listen to our new first lady. This was a, I tried to find something recent and it was difficult because everything was from three years ago, two years ago. And I found something from three weeks ago. Red Women, first, first lady Melania, Melania, I know her name, it's part of my joke. Trump remarks at DEA headquarters. The first time a first lady has ever visited DEA headquarters. So it is truly a historic day for DEA, a day when we have honored, a day when we are honored to have our very special guests join us in celebrating Red Ribbon. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming to DEA headquarters the First Lady of the United States, Mrs. Melania Trump. Coming out for drugs, DEA headquarters. Headquarters, Red Ribbon Week, say no to drugs. 
thank you for the introduction and war very well warm introduction, Acting Administrator Dillon. And thank you for all that you and your administration are doing in the fight against drug abuse. Good morning, everyone. I'm so pleased to be here and for the opportunity to talk about the importance of being drug-free and helping to share the message of Red Ribbon Week. This campaign Red actively engages with schools, resulting in students pledging to be drug-free while honoring the work being done by many Americans to keep our communities safe. My initiative, Be Best, is dedicated to helping children and ensuring that we are doing all we can to take care of the next generation. Since its launch last year, I have used Be Best to shine a light be best. on programs and people that show what it means to be best. Whether it is showing a simple act of kindness, providing care where there is a need, or teaching something valuable, Be Best promotes the positive actions happening in our communities and around the globe and helps children understand what it means to live healthy lives. In my time as First Lady, I have traveled to hospitals and visited rehabilitation centers where I have seen firsthand the horrible results of drug abuse. Our administration will continue working hard in fighting the opioid crisis. I know Director Jim Carroll of the Office of National Drug Control Policy is with us this morning, and I applaud and support the continued efforts he and the entire office are doing to help in this fight. Illegal use of drugs destroys too many families in our country. Drugs are taking a toll on our most vulnerable. For example, an infant that is born with neonatal absence syndrome is a direct result of opioid abuse. In November of last year, during a town hall with students from Liberty University, I addressed the stigma surrounding drug dependence and addressed the issue again in March in Las Vegas. I will continue to address addiction as long as it affects our children, our youth, my and husband. Our oh well, it's the, he's on the we Adderall, right? We need to continue right? encouraging teenagers and young adults that have fallen into drug addiction to be brave enough to admit it, to talk about it, and to get help. This also includes addiction associated with e-cigarettes and vaping. It is important to me that we all work to educate children and families about the dangers associated with this habit. Marketing these addictive products to children must stop. Today is an opportunity to be proactive in our efforts to eliminate drug use and addiction among our youth. For Red Ribbon Week, students can sign a pledge that if honored, will lead to a lasting positive impact on their lives and the lives of the, their friends and peers. I want to thank the United States Drug Enforcement Ugh, I couldn't take any more of that Melania. She was, I, I, 
she's finally spoke, and now I'm like, ugh, I can't listen to your accent anymore. Oh, man. Well, you can see the difference uh, from one president to another, one first lady to another. I mean, it just seems so obvious. All right, so now we see that Melania is doing the be best program, meaning be the best of not doing drugs, although my husband does the drugs. Uh, Tom Arnold claims Donald Trump snorted Adderall on this show. This is, this is from a while back, but still. Actor comedian Donald Trump accused President Donald Trump of previously abusing Adderall on the set of NBC's The Apprentice. Donald Trump abused Adderall on the set and it made him crazy. He even snorted Adderall. Mark Burnett knew it. It's scary. He wrote in a tweet accusing The Apprentice creator of knowing the president took attention deficit hyperactivity disorder drug. This guy worked on a celebrity apprentice for six years. He did the after parties and was Jared and Ivanka's handler. Donald Trump abused Adderall on the set and it made him crazy. He even snorted. It's scary. Watch tape. Um, watch from 328. Terrifying given the side effects of Adderall being in control of the largest nu- nuclear arsenal on the planet. Good point. Uh... This is, uh... Apprentice was like number 30, and he was saying it's number one. Well, he's been saying number one forever, right? And finally, I'd had enough. I I said, wait, no, hold it, wait a minute. You haven't been number one for, like, five years, four years, whatever it is, not in any category, not in any demo. He goes, well, did you see last Thursday? Last Thursday, 18 to 49, uh, whatever, last five minutes or whatever, I said, you know, no. I don't know that stat. No, I can't. So he's like, I told you. And then later, after when the cameras are off, when the cameras are off, he says, uh, he goes, Billy, look, look, you just tell them and they believe it. That's it. You just tell them and they believe. That's... They just do. And I said, ah. That's... Okay. That's where we are. You're next. I'm jealous as hell of millennials. Cast away? Nope, that's our new IT guy, Chad. <laughs> he doesn't work Mondays, by the way. <laughs> These guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, exactly. Well, I work in live television. I've done that for the last 20 years. I work in TV production in the talent departments, taking care of all the performers. It's kind of like herding cats. If cats had publicists and massive egos. I did six seasons of the Celebrity Apprentice finale. Oh, yeah, you can see where this is going. (laughs) My job was taking care of the Trump family, too. Yeah, Don Jr., Omarosa, Melania. Like a freaking Mensa meeting every day. (laughs) I worked on a bunch of those beauty pageants he had in the 90s, too. That was a good idea. Miss Teen Universe? Yeah, that's like giving Jeffrey Dahmer a cooking show. <laughs> you got that one, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. He would line up the girls on the side of the stage and he would inspect them, literally. He'd stick his little freaking doll fingers in their mouth and look at their teeth. So, not a kid. This is true. He'd line them up like they're pieces of meat. He'd be like, you, you, and you. If you want to win, I'm in the penthouse suite. Come and see me. Yep. 
If Trump had a cooking show, they'd call it the douchebag diet. McDonald's, chocolate ice cream, and girls that look like Ivanka are all he ever eats. Oh. I really like you guys now. That's my favorite joke. I'm going to tell you one more thing. I don't usually tell. I'll tell you two more things. Since you're being so nice to me. He's a speed freak. He crushes up his uh, Adderall and he sniffs it because he can't read, so he gets really nervous when he has to read cue cards. I'm not kidding, this is true. I had a 24-page NDA, non-disclosure agreement. I didn't know that he was becoming president. Now it's no way, dumbass. I'm telling you everything I know. <laughs> so he gets nervous and he crushes up these pills. That's why he's sniffing when you see him in debates and when you see him reading. That's why he's tweeting. You know, it's like he's out of his mind. It makes sense if you think about it. Methamphetamine was invented by the Nazis to keep the fighter pilots up all night on bombing runs, right? So it makes sense that Trump would use it to hate tweet and self-centered rage at 4 a.m. on a toilet. Right. I'm gonna leave you with this. My favorite thing so far in the Trump era is when James Comey had to go to the White House and tell him about this dossier and the existence of a videotape of Trump taking a couple of showers with some Russian working girls. And it was Trump, right? So of course they had to be golden. All right, take a second. Trump says to Comey, do I look like the kind of guy that needs to pay for prostitutes? Yeah. Yeah, you look exactly like that kind of guy. You actually look more like that kind of guy than anyone who's ever lived. They're actually changing the nickname for guys like that from Johns to Dons. You guys have been great. Thank you. All right, that was Noel Cassier talking about his time. Cassler talking about his time with Donald Trump. That was a lot of fun at Gotham Comedy Club in New York. So you're still here on the AltaCast. Latoya obviously didn't show up today. That's okay. It's absolutely fine. I miss her so much. She's out of the country. I can't wait to have her back. So we've gone through it. The news and all this stuff. Is Trump on Adderall? I don't know. Is his third wife eyes down? Melaniania? Does she really care about drug addiction? Is she working with the Drug Policy Alliance to help with the opioid crisis? Or, I mean, why the DEA? Jeez, let's get people some Narcan, shall we? All right. Well, I'll play some more music. Coming up at 2 o'clock, I have Justin Gomes Sharp of Sylvan fame and of comedy baseball fame coming in to talk on Some Call Me Tim. Very excited about that. And this Friday, we are doing a comedy fundraiser for suicide awareness. All that kind of stuff. Uh, hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me today on the AltaCast. Dear Lord, may she be back next week. <laughs> right. I'm going to if you enjoyed the music and the fills, it was Sunk, S-U-N-Q. Go check out the Wyatt Act. Amazing local band here in San Francisco. I'm going to play some more music. Uh, but join us next week when Latoya, the Sheriff of Truth, will hopefully be back. 
But it's too bad she didn't come to do the whole Instagram live thing, I guess, that she does, because I'm wearing the most fun outfit today. I am a run-over Girl Scout. So that's funny. All right, everybody. Enjoy disco.
Everybody dance. Do clap your hands. 
of the riding community. Law Tigers watches over riders. If you're injured in a motorcycle accident, we'll help you get your motorcycle repaired or replaced and assist you with your damaged gear, too. We're by your side every step of the way. With the Law Tigers, you never ride alone. If you're injured in a motorcycle accident, call 1-800-LAW-TIGERS or visit us on the web at lawtigers.com. The Law Tigers, California's motorcycle lawyer. Richard Harris, Harris Law Firm, LLP, 180 Permanent Circle, Suite 300, Sacramento, California, 95834. Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for the Let's Watch a Full Length Movie on YouTube. We watch the best movies that, uh, aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by uh, Here's you. his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch
apply now for the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2020 coming up March 1st through 7th, 2020. But you can apply now through November 30th. 50 shows in seven days, over 50 comics from all around the U.S., and you could be one of them. Go to the Mutiny Radio website, www.mutinyradio.fm. Click the Apply button. Pay that 20 bucks. Donate to Mutiny Radio and apply with your five-minute video to the Mutiny Radio 5th Annual Comedy Festival coming up March 1st through 7th, 2020. Submissions close November 30th. Get those submissions in now. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes. And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8 that's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Hungry for a burger? Mutiny Radio thinks you'll find the best burger in San Francisco at Counter Offer, located inside Bender's Bar and Grill. Counter Offer's menu aims to please your drunk face. Tater tots are served daily. On Tuesday nights, Counter Offer serves specials off the Taco Bell menu, only better. You can enjoy your favorite Taco Bell item without the guilt. Counter Offer uses only fresh ingredients and never store-bought shit. Special ingredients are made from scratch daily, including beans, ketchup, mustard, habanero sauce, and ranch dressing. Counter Offer even serves vegan mac and cheese. All of this great food is served 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily and until 11 p.m. on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Counter Offer is located inside Bender's Bar and Grill at 806 South Venice. Be sure to tell them Mutiny sent you. Counter Offer, baby. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk, MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shitface McRat. <laughs> C- 
subliminal SF visual and auditory mind control brings you the best, coolest t-shirt and hoodie designs and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF is here to destroy your sense of normalcy and plant ideas in your skull to make you cooler and a more awesome person. Check out all the badass products at subliminalsf.myshopify.com. That's subliminalsf.myshopify.com. And experience Subliminal SF. Hey, you open micer in San Francisco comedy scene. Maybe you want time to do jokes. Well, this is the place to do it. Mutiny Radio. We have three open mic a week just for you. Monday's joke workshop from 6 to 8. Come and get four minutes and four minutes of commentary from your comedian peers. Come on Fridays for happy hour 6 to 8 here at Mutiny Radio. All the comics. Wonderful, hilarious people in the scene. Get to know them. Hang out. Do a set. Have it recorded here and on a podcast at mutinyradio.fm and come in on Saturdays from 4 to 6. Get long sets because no one ever shows up. So it's like stage time and people can listen. Come on by to Mutiny Radio. Get your comedy on, baby. Tell me what you think about your situation. Complication, aggravation. Is it getting to you? Claw Tigers, we fight for motorcyclists. We're not just motorcycle lawyers, we're part of the riding community. Claw Tigers watches over riders. If you're injured in a motorcycle accident, we'll help you get your motorcycle repaired or replaced and assist you with your damaged gear too. We're by your side every step of the way. With the Law Tigers, you never ride alone. If you're injured in a motorcycle accident, call 1-800-LAW-TIGERS or visit us on the web at lawtigers.com. The Law Tigers, California's motorcycle lawyer. Victor Harris, Harris Law Firm, LLP, 180 Chromatic Circle, Suite 300, Sacramento, California, 95834. San Francisco Mutiny Radio San Francisco Mutiny Radio Listen to live streaming radio Or download a podcast And you can listen on the go Listen to live streaming radio Or download a podcast And you can listen on the go San Francisco